In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. Today on Notably Disney, we are going to take things in a slightly different direction, as opposed to most episodes that focus exclusively on Disney books or music, or sometimes even both. In fact, today we are going to explore Disney Plus original programming. Now, the streaming service, as you probably recall, launched on November 12th, 2019, and in the 13 to 14 months since, there has been a bevy of great original programming, including series, movies, documentaries, and everything in between. And on this episode, my guests, Courtney Guth, Emily McDermott, Derek Lewis, and Trent Vactor, and myself, will explore the best programming on the service as it pertains to originals, uh, missed opportunities, what we're most looking forward to in the years to come, um, and even some library content that we've uh, checked out along the way. So let's get right into that dialogue. All right, joining me on Notably Disney today are four former guests who will offer a bunch of insightful and clever contributions when it comes to discussing Disney Plus original content. So we have Courtney Guth and Emily McDermott of the Book of the Mouse Club Club podcast. Uh, you'll rec recognize them from our Sing Along Songs Rewind episode uh, several months back on Notably Disney. Uh, we also have Trent Vactor, who has been on Notably Disney several times as we've discussed Star Wars music, um, including a soundtrack review of The Rise of Skywalker uh, this past January. Uh, and finally, Derek Lewis of the Mad Chatters podcast, who uh, won as part of Team Six Eggs on the latest edition of Disney Tunes and Quotes Trivia. Um, that was an entertaining episode for sure. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Britt. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for including the little nugget that I did win that game. <laughs> And I guess I should have offered a spoiler alert for anybody who has not listened yet, but you'll enjoy the ride across two parts because it was an epic episode. 
Um, As champion of my round of Disney Tunes and Quotes trivia, I think there needs to be an ultimate match between the winners across these several episodes. Whoa. Okay. Now it's recorded. Now it has Gauntlet, to happen. Throwing it down. <laughs> I was just thinking that. It's on. I've uh, grabbed my popcorn. <laughs> No, I've, I've had that thought and I want to be able to organize it. So let me say that it will be in the works and uh, you, will be, you will be enlisted and we'll see who the true victor is. Um, glad, to, glad to have all of you on. Um, we, we have a lot of cool stuff to discuss today because um, we're recording this right now. Um, it's the tail end of 2020 um, and we're entering a new year, hopefully a, a brighter one for everybody. Um, I suppose one bright spot in... Uh, 2020 has been that we've had a lot of great Disney Plus original content to check out. Um, and I was really glad to enlist all of you um, to talk about some different topics under the umbrella of Disney Plus. So um, whereas notably Disney is generally limited to talking about either or both music and books, um, today we're really going to just celebrate the wonderful world of Disney Plus. We're going to talk about favorite original programming, most disappointing or forgettable original programming, um, original programming that we haven't watched yet, but it's on our watch list, older unfamiliar content in the Disney Plus umbrella that we've checked out and enjoyed. And then finally, um, in light of the recent Investor Day, where we heard a whole slew of announcements of Disney Plus original content, we'll, we'll share some of our anticipated uh, options, uh, be it movies or series. So a lot to discuss, folks. Um, and I'm just going to kind of encourage anybody to jump in as you'd like. I know we, I, I asked each of you uh, leading up to today just to kind of start thinking of some different selections that might be uh, fitting for each of you, um, given what you've checked out or want to check out. So we're going to talk about some uh, favorite Disney Plus original films or series uh, that have debuted since the service launched in November 2019. So uh, if anybody wants to jump in, feel free to go ahead and we'll get the conversation rolling. I can kick us off. Um, my favorite, I think, which is probably the gold standard of maybe Disney documentaries, uh, has been the Imagineering story, for sure. Um, as a Disney fan, especially of the parks, there's so much in there to explore, to take away. I appreciated the launch schedule where they gave us one episode at a time. I know often with streaming services, it's fun to binge, but I kind of liked the buildup and the anticipation each week of what are they going to show us next? Yeah, I second that. I, I think for Parks fans especially, that was just like a dream to see all that, all that footage and all the photos that we hadn't seen before and very, very fun. Imagineering story. I have my list of stuff that I've watched. That one has the star next to it. Um, that and then prop culture for me. I really enjoy all the behind the scenes stuff. And I think more people are starting to understand why those of us who love the parks so much do, because maybe they haven't visited the parks as much or have taken the time to do as much reading or dive into resources. But now that there's this amazing documentary, more people that I've talked to or like friends of mine who like Disney, they're like, wow, that's really cool. And they've been talking to me more about the parks now than just animated features. So I think it's been a great entry point for both getting more people interested in the parks, but also making current parks fans really happy. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually forgot about prop culture, but tell me if you think I'm wrong. I actually think Disney Plus has 
opened up more people to documentaries and to docu-series. I, th I know a lot of people who would never, you know, go to a theater or even turn on National Geographic to watch a sort of docu-series. But along with the two you just mentioned, I thought the Into the Unknown Making of Frozen 2 series was mm. also excellent. And it just makes me more confident in like pushing play on the first episode of a docu-series because I assume it's going to be something very informative for me. And that's what Disney Plus has given me this year. Yeah, you're absolutely I agree. right. Yeah, please go ahead. Oh, I was saying I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we all agree. We all agree the docu-series <laughs> are such a bright spot. And, you know, Derek mentioning to um, the uh, Into the Unknown series, I think what was so exciting is that feels like almost like a an extended bonus feature that would have accompanied a home video release of a film, right? So it's it's not just, mm -hmm. you know, 30 minutes an hour. It was maybe fought across the six episodes, maybe four or five hours of content. It was really rich stuff and it wasn't dry at all. It, it uncovered, I think, the, the year leading up to the film's release and everything from um, showing test animation to the development of the songs. It was quite engaging too. I think that's a great point, Brett, about the extended bonus feature concept because it kind of felt like I anyone who's listened to Book the Mouse Club, we always love to leave resources. Mine are often DVD bonus features uh, for books that relate to the films that we're watching and the books that we're reading. Um, but I felt like as we move towards the digital era and you know, you just get a digital download from iTunes, some of that became lost. Uh, but to see them putting out new content that fills that void has been great. And it feels like something they can do in tandem with creating these series, like The Mandalorian, the Disney Gallery. It's like you have this fantastic show in The Mandalorian, but then you also got eight episodes, just as many as the first season of behind the scenes content. Yeah, it definitely gives me hope that in the future, they'll start from day one planning to film stuff like this, like you said, in tandem with the actual project. Well, and, and along those lines, it's just pretty amazing to think of, you know, some of these projects certainly were in development concurrently, like we were just talking about the Frozen documentary. I, I remember at the 23 Expo in 19, where um, Jennifer Lee was discussing, oh yeah, we're in addition to developing Frozen, this, there's this, uh, Frozen 2, there's this documentary being made. But I even think back to, I think it was D23 Expo 2013 or 2015 when the Imagineering story was announced and originally as like a 90 minute or so film and Leslie Iwerks and her team were basically given the A-OK -okay to, to expand the amount of um, footage and interviews to make this a full-on series um, on Disney Plus. And, and that's the beauty of having this type of platform um, for showcasing um, such rich and ultimately extensive content. So since yesterday was the season finale, did everyone watch Mandalorian? Yeah. Yes. I wanted to prep before, like, you know, spoiler alerts here, people. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to check in. Um, Courtney and I text back and forth during Mandalorian. We have to check when we've each watched it before we, like, freak out. Um, but without spoilers, what I've really enjoyed about Mandalorian, and there's so much to look forward to with Star Wars and Lucasfilm coming, is I've always liked Star Wars. I wouldn't say I've never been, like, the hardcore Star Wars fan, but I'm more above average, maybe. Um, I don't know. Like, I've always been interested. My sister's more of the hardcore Star Wars fan. 
But now after Mandalorian, I want to watch everything. Like I completely plan over my winter break uh, from teaching to start like timeline order episode one to Clone Wars series and like move all the way through because I've never watched the side series before. Um, I've never been as heavily invested in like the lore and Mandalorian now with Ahsoka and Boba. I'm just like, this is incredible and I need to know more. I think that's great. I think Mandalorian works great as a gateway into Star Wars, like you're saying, because it's easy enough to digest week by week and not be overwhelmed. But then for super fans, I think it's also like a good reintroduction to that world. And it kind of feels like comfort food for those of us who, who've loved Star Wars for so long, and especially season two. And, and I loved seeing that the budget was so large for this thing, because when you think they're going to make a Star Wars series, I personally got a little nervous at first, thinking about things like Once Upon a Time, where the CG clearly... Uh, clearly not a lot of money went into the CG and the, the digital effects. And I was really, I was really glad to see that that was not the case for Mandalorian. They really pumped some money into it. Speaking of Star Star Wars, have you guys seen the Lego Star Wars holiday special? Yes. Yes. And it's Uh, on my list because it's great. It is. (laughs) I was so surprised. I think I just happened to be on Twitter one morning and the trailer dropped and I was like, what, what is this? And then the trailer had me hyped. Like, I was like, Tuesday, December 17th, we're going to watch this. Like, it's <laughs> happening. I was, I was ready, and it, it lived up to my excitement for it. Yeah, I agree. I think my favorite line from the trailer and ultimately in the special is where Darth Vader's on Tatooine and sees Luke, and he's like, my son. And then he says, oh, no, um, <laughs> look at those binary sons. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I really like the humor of those Lego series. I mean, this was my first introduction to it. My understanding is though some of the like formerly produced Disney Lego Star Wars stuff is on Disney Plus as well. So I might have to go digging for that. Nice. And they're fantastic. They're very self-aware. Yes. Lego, uh, I think it's called Lego Droid Tales. That's uh, with the series from the, the perspective from C-3PO and R2-D2 is quite hilarious. And they basically... Um, make fun of Jar Jar Binks across several episodes. So that's great um, in, in all the best ways. Emily's going to have to add that to her timeline for this winter. Yes. Oh, there's so many things to watch. <laughs> now, Trent, I, I know. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, Trent, I remember leading up to Disney Plus debuting for you. The big series to watch was Mandalorian. So um, how, how in what ways would you say it's delivered? Um, over the course of the two seasons? Because I know you're um, certainly a resident Star Wars expert here. Yeah, I am currently wearing a Baby Yoda shirt. I know you can't see it on the podcast, but I am um, a huge Star Wars fan. And Mandalorian, as high as I was going into it when they first announced it and when we talked about it, it lived up, basically shattered my expectations. I, I loved both seasons. They both ended on a huge high note for me, and I'm still kind of buzzing over the finale of season two. Um, I think the things that it did well was add to the universe and add to the lore. Um, Also, it did a little bit to redeem some of the aspects of the movies that fans didn't like, and that's from the prequels, prequel uh, 
era and the uh, the sequel era. Both of those trilogies have um, some things about them that people don't like, and The Mandalorian did a great job of uniting a lot of Star Wars fans, people who were like, oh, I, I only like the original. Oh, oh, I only like the prequels, or I only like the sequels, whatever. It did a great job of bridging the gap between all of those fans and said, hey, this is just Star Wars. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is, um, everyone can unite over Baby Yoda. And it's amazing that that character kind of became a pop culture thing where even, star, you know, people who are not Star Wars fans know Baby Yoda. So mm-hmm. it just shattered my expectations on every level. I, I completely and truly love The Mandalorian and the Disney Gallery, which I'm really looking forward to the season two episode of the gallery that's going to talk about the behind the scenes of Mandalorian. And I, I kind of wish it was more um, episodes. The The first season had, you know, multiple episodes and it followed um, a, a bunch of different topics, but the second season is only going to be one episode. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. That's but there's bummer. another show that got a docu-series. So more docu-series for us to love. But I'm glad you brought up Baby Yoda and how you said like everyone unites on it. My mom has never watched The Mandalorian, but she bought the Pandora charm for her bracelet (laughs) because she thinks he's adorable. (laughs) And like, think about it. Everything 2020, um, I'm a big Time Magazine reader. And so I'll get like my final episode or (laughs) final issue for the year. And they'll have like their 2020 wrap up. I highly anticipate that grogu baby yoda the child is going to be in there because think of this cultural phenomenon that disney created in less than a year yeah of Mm -hmm. disney plus coming out so as much as we love so many of the other imaginary story pop culture all these other titles we're talking about i think mandalorian might have had the largest cultural impact of the launch of disney plus oh yeah yeah for For sure. sure It, it was kind of like the cornerstone of Disney+. Plus. That's the impression I got from the heads up or the higher ups at Disney. Yeah, well, and along those lines, certainly a lot of the Disney Plus original programming has been centered around certain brands that, are pe- that people are familiar with to draw attention. So some other examples uh, would be High School Musical, the musical, the series, uh, which had uh, one season, season two is on the way, and it's fantastic. I'd encourage listeners to check out um, a recap of the songs from it with uh, Aaron Wallace that was earlier this year on Notably Disney, Um, but also um, some interesting Marvel series um, that were kind of a docu-series in in the sense of just chronicling um, behind the scenes at Marvel, whether it's the 616 series or even, um, I'm not sure, have folks checked out Marvel's Hero Project, which focuses on um, really incredible uh, kiddos in real life who are doing good for the world i saw the first episode i haven't checked that out but my my watch list just continues to grow and i'm (laughs) sure it will as we go through yeah Yeah. after i tackle all of the star wars marvel is next (laughs) (laughs) and then that will i have watched all of marvel before but i haven't watched it like in succession in a very long time so that's going to come after Star Wars. So I'll have to add that one to my Marvel lineup. Yeah, what's really nice about that show is that it really honors the incredible talents and generosity and kindness of 
um, kids from really all around the world, um, whether it be saving the environment or, or um, addressing um, uh, racial injustice and um, health issues and economic, um, or excuse me, natural disaster uh, relief efforts. Um, just really um, lovely and, and ultimately at the end, they are translated into comic book form um, through, the, through the designers and uh, comic book uh, writers at Marvel. Um, so it's a really, it's, it's a subtle Marvel tie and it's not in your face, but um, it's just nice for, for really awesome kids to be highlighted in, in that type of way. Um, also too, I'll point folks, if you're interested in a good travel series, there's um, through National Geographic, it's called Rogue Trip. Um, it follows uh, journalist Bob Woodward, uh, Woodruff, excuse me, Bob Woodruff um, and his son, um, who basically visit um, some really unique destinations and become engaged with the cultures and customs and um, just uh, pure beauty of countries. Um, so I, I know they um, went to the Middle East and South America and a bunch of um, particular uh, countries. Each episode follows their, their travels in a specific country. So I'd highly encourage folks to check that out if you haven't already. Can I give a plug for Earth to Ned? Because I want a season two of that. So everybody needs to go watch Earth to Ned. Thank you. Do you want to say Second more, Courtney? <laughs> I will. Earth to Ned is uh, from the Jim Henson Company. Uh, but n So like Muppet adjacent. You're not going to see your favorite Muppet pals, but you are going to see the amazing puppetry that that company is known for. Um, and Earth to Ned, the concept is that there's this alien Ned who's obsessed with... Um, Earth's pop culture. So aboard his spaceship, he hosts a talk show and has various celebrity guests. And he has, as most late night talk show hosts do, a sidekick named Cornelius, who I think is absolutely adorable. There's a recurring gag where he sends Cornelius to Earth to learn more about whatever's topic it is, but all kinds of guests. Uh, RuPaul was on it. I love Rachel Bloom of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So it was so much fun for me to see mm. her appear. Um, I think it's it's eight episodes, maybe 10. That was one that I binged completely in one go over the course of a weekend. And it's a lot of fun. So I would love to see more of that. Yeah, it's my understanding that, so this episode will have been released um, early January, in January. Um, so folks who are listening will be able to check it out. There were 10 additional episodes um, of Earth to Ned filmed. I don't know when, so those will be dropping. So. Oh, good. Uh, more kicking more guests. 21 on the right note <laughs> yeah i like Merry it too Christmas, because the guests, <laughs> Thank you. the guests are like in on the joke and they're having such a good time it seems like which really elevates the show in my opinion bindi irwin was so precious like she was just so into it and like have filled with so much joy which is how i would be if i got to meet ned and cornelius yeah yeah she and her brother is that the irwins is that what you said yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much fun. Has it, uh, before we shift over to, I guess, the next topics, so to speak, have folks checked out any original films on Disney Plus? So like something like Lady and the Tramp or um, Stargirl or any of those? I really liked Lady and the Tramp. That was one of the first ones uh, that I watched when Disney uh, plus dropped. Uh, I was really excited about that one. And I was really surprised. Uh, the whole remake of animated films into live action is a very divisive issue in the Disney community. Uh, but I thought this was one of the better 
made ones. Anyone else want to? I enjoyed that one too. It's interesting that Brett made the distinction that we have been talking mostly about series because Brett was kind enough to send over like a list just to kind of, you know, refresh your brain. And I realized making my list, most of the content that I've enjoyed has been series. Um, So I saw Lady and the Tramp and I think the only other uh, original film I saw, which was recent, was Godmothered, which I thought was really cute. So mm. there's some some coming things that I'm sure we'll get to, um, but definitely need to dip more into the the film side of uh, original content. Yeah, I've I only also seen... watched Noel. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Bro. Oh yeah, Noel. Yeah, yeah. One of the originals, meaning like that was cute. Like uh, I think that debuted with Disney Plus, or at least right after. Yeah, it sure did, Derek. Yeah, I'm an Anna Kendrick fan, so I was really excited to see her, and I thought it was fun. It was a fun, you know, Christmassy film. It's kind of like a Hallmark movie, but for kids, where it's like all the warmth and heart and not overly complicated, but really enjoyable. Yes, and this is what I think, if I can go off on a little tangent here i this is what i think disney plus really needs to lean into like don't get me wrong love the mandalorian love high school musical etc but my impression when they first announced it was that remember back in the 90s and the 2000s when disney would release their original movie of sunday night like the wonderful world of disney and for a long time they were all original films like tower of terror and rogers and hammerstein's cinderella with uh, whitney houston and those all those movies are super enjoyable but i think if i saw them in the theater i would be like oh that was kind of disappointing and silly (laughs) but for some reason it's easier to swallow when you watch them at home and i feel like disney plus can get away with that i mean yes netflix is putting out some spectacular movies and disney plus is not to that level but i i think with things like noel or i watched a movie called magic camp uh, just this week, I watched the new movie Safety about the Clemson football player. Like, all of these movies are super enjoyable and pleasant and easy to watch. And they work better streaming straight to my television than they probably would in a theater. This is the new generation of DCOMs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And higher quality, too. <laughs> Although, I do want to say the two that Brett called out, Tower of Terror, Rogers and Hammerstein, Cinderella. That was Derek, actually. On Disney. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Want to credit Derek? Because <laughs> Brett's name is right on the screen, <laughs> so that's what I keep seeing. Uh, Derek said, "Tower of Terror, Cinderella. Those aren't on Disney Plus yet, and you know, I would really love those." Don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I check at least weekly about Cinderella because it's been so long since I've seen it, and YouTube ain't gonna cut it. I bought it on DVD on Amazon for like eight bucks last year because i was like well it's not on disney plus and i want to watch it yeah good to know good tip and there were probably i would say from like 97 to maybe 2004 several dozen wonderful world of disney films so there's Mm -hmm. a, a large treasure trove that they can draw from that i think people would love to revisit um because some of them only got uh, a VHS release, um, not even a DVD release, I guess. Um, there might be, a, you know, you mentioned an exception there, but um, that would be great. Um, also want to just reference a couple of other standout films. One is Togo, which is the real life story um, that's kind of like um, 
in a sense, it's the precursor to Balto. Basically, it centers on a sled dog um, who led a team to um, send a serum to, um, they basically transporting the serum to um, deal with an epidemic um, at the time. And um, Balto was the dog that kind of finished the, the race of the serum and gets all the credit, but it was Togo and, and the fellow sled dogs who um, were responsible for a really epic run um, in uh, up to Nome, Alaska. So it's an incredible film and Willem Dafoe gives a marvelous performance. So not sure if folks have checked that out, but Togo is like, it's a dog film and it's a great drama. So it checks all the boxes for me. Going on my list. Let's add some more. Yeah, and Safety was really good too. I, I watched that uh, when it debuted. And um, I have to say like, this is, I'm not trying to pat myself on, on the back or anything, but I wrote a little review of Togo on Twitter and Disney Plus retweeted it. So I was nice. absolutely shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I'm like, wow, it was just a, it was just a nice comment about the movie, but I guess, okay, they want to share it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, And Howard. The presence of greatness here. (laughs) No, no, I'm, I'm the, I'm in the midst of greatness talking with all of you and um, and talking about greatness. Howard Ashman got his documentary finally um, released all about Howard Ashman. I'm the songwriter, uh, the lyricist behind Be and the Beast and, uh, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, so many others. That's a fantastic documentary. It was wonderful. I absolutely, that one I did make sure I watched the day that it dropped. I was so excited and it was so wonderfully made. Absolutely. Any other favorite things that people want to talk about before we discuss some on the other end of the spectrum disappointments on the on this service? Any other shout outs or I just wanted to quickly mention a surprise for me was the net, just all the national geographic content, because going into Disney plus, I was thinking, okay, Disney, I know the, you know, Disney and Pixar got it. Marvel and star Wars. That's my area. So yes, yes. And then I saw national geographic on there and I didn't really, I've, I've never watched that channel before. And the, I think, I probably ended up watching more stuff on the National Geographic side than anything. My wife and I love anything with animals. So there's a bunch of like just every animal you can think of. There's a a show about them. And then we love seeing all of the behind the scenes of like the the Animal Kingdom um, show that they had where they were going behind the scenes of the park and uh, the day to day, um, anything dealing with vets and sick animals we would put those on you know when there was just nothing else to watch so i was just surprised by the national geographic content and it was a a pleasant surprise yeah thanks for highlighting that trend because i think that's you know through um you know through various acquisitions um, over the past couple of years that's now part of the disney umbrella and um the 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 amount of uh, content that I've been exposed to through engaging in that also has been really rich. And there's also been a number of nice partnerships. Like there's a a magic of Disney's animal kingdom series, which goes behind the scenes of the amazing theme park at Walt Disney world and is kind of in the vein of some, some of those other shows on Nat Geo regarding, you know, secrets of the zoo, but 
there's certainly a different component here because of um, you know looking at behind the scenes of this Kilimanjaro safaris or um, <laughs> even some sections are at uh, the uh, at the seas at Epcot. So yes. um, yeah, thanks for highlighting that. Yeah, because it was like this, the, all this old content. I'm looking at oh, this is from 2014, but I'm like oh, it's new to me. This is a Disney original to me. Exactly. Well, I think if everybody's okay, let's um, shift over to disappointing or even forgettable uh, original content. There's, there certainly have been a ton of highlights as we've discussed, but needless to say, maybe there have been some shows or films that have missed the mark. And uh, certainly we want to be able to offer uh, c constructive feedback, um, <laughs> but um, because I don't want to just say this was horrible, but um, maybe what didn't resonate with us or what maybe didn't quite reach the, the status of what we had expected of particular projects. Well, I need to correct an earlier statement because I said Godmothered uh, was one of the only films that I had watched, but I forgot that I watched Noel and I watched it last weekend. So <laughs> that I, I feel like I'm in the minority here, um, but we tried to watch it last December and just didn't get into it. Um, and I did watch it in advance of this recording because I said, oh, that, that, that's one of the things I haven't watched. That was one of the first originals. But I don't know, maybe I'm a Grinch. It just didn't quite do it for me. You're not alone, Courtney. It actually hurts me to say, I, even though it's not on my list, but I felt like that didn't quite do it for me either. And I think it's more of I, I so love all the stars and I don't feel like some of the writing really uh, reached the, the caliber that they could um, deliver it because I love Billy Eichner and Bill Hader and Kendrick and um, yeah it just it just felt it was fine I like that there were some scenes set in Phoenix which is where Trent and I live yes. um, so that was kind of cool but um, it actually I don't even think it was filmed in Phoenix it was just supposed to be Phoenix but in any right. case it was sorry Derek I know you like Noel it wasn't my favorite <laughs> oh. I feel no, 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 no. Solid B minus. I'm just saying, like, I got through the whole movie and it was exactly what I expected. Oh, okay, okay. I think I liked it better the first time I saw it and it was called Elf. Dang. Uh, oh. Mic drop. <laughs> got him. Yeah, I think uh, there hasn't been a lot that's just outright disappointed me mostly because I haven't really seen all that much but also because I guess maybe my expectations were low which is not a good thing I, I should improve that uh, but for me in general what is disappointing is is the lack of original content I think when they promised us Disney plus with things like the Mandalorian and High School Musical I thought it's going to be at least 50-50. But I mean, most of the stuff we've talked about today is unscripted. It's not like, I remember we used to use the phrase appointment viewing, like mm -hmm. you wanted to be in front of your TV at 7 p.m. on a given night because everyone in the world had to watch this certain show at the same time because it was that ex exciting. But most of the stuff on Disney Plus is just kind of there for you to watch when you have time. Like Earth to Ned is a good... Like when you need a good late night talk show and you, you have nothing else to watch or even the Imagineering story to an extent was like, it's always going to be relevant, you know, so you can watch it now. You can watch it five years from now. And I wanted more appointment viewing, more scripted stuff. Yeah, you bring up a lot of oh, good point there, Derek, because I feel um, it is surprising that 
there's not as much scripted content, but on, on the flip side, I think most of the docu-series have been pretty compelling. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think, you know, also too, we think of, you know, a Netflix, for instance, which over recent years has just exploded in terms of not only subscriptions, but amount of original content. And, you know, in, in many ways, Disney Plus is in its infancy, so they have to build, build that base. And certainly they're investing in, in more of that, both uh, uh, fictional and, and uh, nonfiction content. Yeah, thinking about Derek's point that, and also in combination with yours, that I think for the first year of Disney Plus, they had to figure out what they were going to be. They had to figure out what people would like, what are people tuning into. Um, so like Mandalorian, I think was that viewing where like everyone, or at least this past season, everyone that I know or follow or talk to, they were like, I have to watch it on Friday. And like, I couldn't go on Twitter. I couldn't look at anything until I've watched it. But that was really like the only show that I felt that way. But seeing what came out on Investor Day, which we're going to get to, I think they realize what stuff they can do and what's responding that maybe we'll see more of that in this next year of Disney+. Plus. Yes, I'd say very, very true. And 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 I think, you know, that for that point about, I, I'm so glad you, you brought that up, Derek, and, and furthered that, um, Emily, is the idea of appointment viewing, because... I think what what types of program what what types of series are going to fall under that umbrella? It's going to be name brand, very recognizable, huge fan base. So, you know, I would imagine the Marvel series like a, a Wandavision or Loki yes. might fit under that umbrella. But um, another brand that doesn't get as much attention under the Disney umbrella, which I've always loved, and I feel like they really shortchanged is the Muppets. Um, and I'm wondering if anybody here has watched Muppets now um, because you would think by the title now is you would have to watch it now um, you could watch it whenever and ultimately <laughs> I was very disappointed with what it represented but um, anybody yeah, familiar with that was, Muppets now that Go was ahead. the one show I had on my list of actual Disney plus content that just disappointed me and I couldn't finish it yeah, I was the same way, unfortunately. So what about Muppets Now didn't work? Because certainly it sounds like I'm not in the minority um, here. Yeah, I think, Brett, you and I talked about it's them trying to, I almost feel like it's, they're trying to be hip. Like, oh, this is the social media culture. This is everything's live streaming. Everything's on you know Twitter and TikTok and all this. And I feel like they tried to force the Muppets into that and it didn't work to me, but I don't know how much of that is due to COVID. I don't know how much they had to kind of separate and change their original plans. I, I don't know. I'd like to see maybe a behind the scenes, um, but a lot of the skits just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I and I think the characters were leveraged in the right ways. Like I love the notion of Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker performing science experiments, and sometimes with celebrity guests. But um, and and even Miss Piggy, you know, and and Tay Diggs and and who was it? Um, Linda Cardellini. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was cute, but it's like it just didn't feel substantial. And and maybe it would have worked better as like little 
little skits that you could find on YouTube. And I know that's originally how the Muppets had been leveraged um, initially after Disney's acquisition. But um, I, I wanted something a bit more, I think, along the lines of the ABC show, um, yes. which ultimately received a lot of flack. And I know, Trent, you and I love that yes. show. But um, yeah, that, that's the main show that kind of fell flat for me. I liked the ABC show a lot. Um, I don't think I disliked Muppets Now as much as other people did. I did have moments where I genuinely laughed, um, and, but it was more, I will say, something because of like the short nature of those little sketch. It was something that uh, my partner and I were putting on in the background. Like, you know, when you're kind of like, oh, let's just put a few episodes on, but you're also checking your phone and scrolling through Twitter and like, oh, wait, did we miss something? Uh, so I can understand uh, a bit of that criticism. Emily, I would love to know what you think as a fellow University of Maryland alum like myself and Jim Henson. Well, to be honest, I actually never watched it because Uh-oh. I heard so many eh, reviews that I moved on to other things that I was, were getting better uh traction and so i watched the trailer and (laughs) kermit's voice threw me so i was a little sad um so that was a hard one to get through just from the trailer which i know you they can only do so much when you're trying to find voice matching um but i actually haven't even touched it because i've heard so many non-great things that I went to Ned instead. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to watch something Jim Henson. Let me watch something that people have been enjoying and said has been better. Um, I should look into it because, yeah, I'm a big Muppets fan. And I find such an irony that one of the things that people love about the Muppets is how versatile they are. But as we keep trying to bring them into new media, it doesn't work. So it's weird to me that is versatile as that we can put them in liberty square we can put them in epcot we can all of these different shows whatever that it's worked in the past that you can put them with anyone and now it's not working and i don't know what that is and i know that's something a lot of people were disappointed about on investor day that there's been no announcements about muppets and we would like to see more muppet stuff but if we do is it going to be good yeah, it's like they're trying to, and you're hitting on this, like they're constantly trying to reinvent the Muppets or put them in different places and certain certain efforts seem more successful than others. But I really think they need to try developing another film with them because both the 2011 Muppets and 2014's Muppets Most Wanted were overall critically acclaimed and at least the first of the two films did pretty well financially. So I recognize that maybe a theatrical releases and in the cards for the Muppets, but why not a, a Disney plus original film with the Muppets? Because that long form one plot um, mm-hmm. common narrative might be, might be the way to leverage them again. You might be onto something there, or if they're going to go back to a show, I would love to see them reprise the Muppet show, just have a 30 minute variety hour. There's not necessarily a plot or a story. You just have we've liked little skits here and there or those little pieces from what I'm hearing from you guys in this Muppets now, like those small segments within the episode, you're like, Oh, that was good. But then the rest was, eh, maybe we just need to go back to, like you said, I think a film would work really well or try to recreate the Muppet show. Yeah, very true. And anything else um, come to mind for folks in terms of disappointing or forgettable 
original content. I have one, but maybe not in the sense you intended, but it was something that launched with Disney Plus, and that was Pixar in real life. And I think this was because it just didn't update. So then I forgot about it. Um, when The Mandalorian would come out on Fridays along with the Imagineering story, like, I don't know, I feel like on Fridays I was checking the new to Disney Plus tab on the homepage and they have this cute image of the in real life Wally, but I still haven't seen that episode because I, again, forgot about it. It was like that inside out in real life episode was the first one and then they just didn't add anything for several weeks. So I was like, oh, well, they're clearly not updating this one. Yeah, they ended up releasing like one a month for maybe eight, nine, ten consecutive months. And then there hasn't been any. And I don't know, I, I, ironically, Courtney, I had that on my list too, because I, um, I, lo- I love the premise and I feel like it lends itself yeah. to the Pixar YouTube channel, uh, for instance. But I d- and I, f- I admire the cleverness of putting the characters and actors uh, representing them in, in New York City. It didn't quite hit it for me. Um, it didn't land. And I think that might be by virtue of that there weren't any like super outrageous situations where like, I don't know, where people react in such surprising ways. It's like, oh, people are like, oh, they're smiling or they're like, oh, this is odd, but I'll just go with it. And there wasn't <laughs> anything like, I don't know, it just didn't feel like a a very strong visceral reaction because it's like, oh, this is 2020. People are used to seeing random uh, things in, in New York City. <laughs> yeah, I need to track down the Wally one because I am curious about like the giant Wally in real life. Like that's enough of a gimmick to spark my interest. But I agree just the the inside out one after like two scenarios where you saw it play out, it just felt like an extended that show Candied Camera or like an Impractical Jokers, but not really funny. Just like, oh, that happened. Yeah, I, well, uh, first of all, Wally is my favorite Pixar movie. So I went straight to that episode um, as soon as I saw it. Cause like you said, it was on the marketing and it was on the thumbnail. I kind of got that same sense from that episode as well of being like a, candid camera and it was kind of funny to see the reactions but I guess for me it was more I just like seeing a real life Wally running around so I was like oh yeah I love that um it's worth watching I think once it's like five minutes so it's it's okay yeah if you have a favorite character you can find something like there was a guy impersonating Al from Toy Story too so if you love (laughs) Al you have your episode um and anything else come up for folks in terms of disappointing options? I'll take that silence as uh, I think we've covered a lot. Uh, I also want to just very quickly mention a few of the series are, are more geared toward kids, and I think they could have been broader in appeal had the writing not been so childish in nature. And I, was, I have to say I was a little bit disappointed by Be Our Chef, which is a cooking show um, where um, families prepare meals that are inspired by different uh, Disney films, and I love the idea. Ultimately, the some of the writing, like um, it's a it's a, a non it's non scripted. It's a reality competition show. But I found the host. No offense to Angela Kinsey from I believe she's from The Office, but some of the writing was just really roll your eyes and and childish in nature. And I it didn't quite land for me. I felt like it could have had broader appeal, but ultimately it was 
um, it felt really childish in nature. Was that, I'm curious sometimes though about some of these shows. I had Be Our Chef on my list um, to start watching like in the background because uh, I like having cook, like cooking shows are just great to have on. Um, they're fun to watch and again, there's not that heavy investment from show to show. But I am curious though, all of us watching, have any of us watched Disney Plus with a child present? It does not necessarily have to be your own because I have not. <laughs> So a lot of the criticisms we might have, we might still see some of these things, but if it's working for the family demographic, we just might not be that target for that, right. for some of these shows. Yeah, I think that's a great point. In fact, I remember I watched a few episodes of Be Our Chef and I went over to my brother's house and my nephew, who's 10 years old, came up and he asked if I'd seen it. And I, of course, said yes. And then he went into this deep conversation about, well, this family made that. I thought they should have won. And I had seen the episode. I didn't re even remember the family he was talking about. So clearly <laughs> he was enjoying it and was invested in it more than I was, which is great because it was meant for him. That's awesome. Hey, and if, it, you know, if a show like that you know, gets a kid interested in cooking or, or having commentary about reality competition shows, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> It made me more interested to see more content from the the Disney chefs that they brought out to judge. I'm like, I want to see a show with you as the main feature. <laughs> and that would be a great uh, great next edition of One Day at Disney. Um, those those shorts True. that chronicle people at the company. So, Derek, I think you're onto something. Just all about the Disney chefs. That'd be great. Let's recognize to uh, moving on to our, our next topic, um, watch list. So it sounds like there's a lot of things that we still collectively haven't watched because there's just so much original content. What's toward the top of um, any of your watch lists? And we're talking about content that is currently available? Yes, so thinking about Disney plus original content that we haven't checked out, but we really want to. I actually forgot I had Earth to Ned on my watch list. And now I'm, I'm glad you reminded me because I, I, I have a little criticism about the watch list in general because on Netflix and on a lot of the other streaming platforms, I find their version of the watch list to be more in my face. Because like I said, I, I forgot I even had Earth to Ned on there because every time I load up Disney Plus, I was either going straight to Mandalorian or um, I haven't spoken about it yet on uh, on this podcast, but any Spider-Man content I'm, I also love. So I, I've been watching all of the uh, previous Spider-Man animated series, um, introducing my wife to the character and to all of these shows. I'm like, okay, I grew up on this one. I watched this one. I was in this place in my life. I was, I was watching this one in this place in my life. So um, that's what I just go directly to is the stuff that I, I know I want to watch. Okay. I'm coming here for Mandalorian or I'm coming here for Spider-Man, but with the watch list, I was like, oh yeah, when I first started, I was adding everything to my watch list, but then I just forgot it was even on there. So I, I felt like they could do a better job of making the watch list the first thing that comes up when you load it up. Yeah, that makes a lot of good sense, Trent. It makes me think too of how, and I'm sure all of us have recognized over the past year with Disney Plus, how the the design of the platform has been very consistent. But if you go in under um, specific collections, um, the like new collections have been added, or even just the arrangement of titles 
under the originals tab um, has been divided based on um, I think originally it was it was like genre and now it's like series versus movies or um, so there's been some redesigning uh, happening too. So I think your point about the watch list visibility makes good sense. I do love when you hover over each of the brands, they have a little animation that goes in the background. I love that. On my watch list, um, I have Stargirl. And interestingly enough, it is based on a book. So perhaps that is a future Book of the Mouse Club topic. Emily, please write that down. Um, this was a book that I remember coming out in the probably early 2000s. Like I must have been in elementary or middle school at the time. And the the cover was really distinct. Like I remember seeing it at my library, but I never actually read it. So I guess it's been on my to be read list for 20 years now. Uh, and I saw them in a movie. So I, and I've heard it's a musical, I think, which I also am just really into musicals. So that is one that's on my watch list that I'd like to get to next year. Yeah, I, I have to Courtney, just- Courtney, I made a note. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Future episode. I was just going to say, Star Girl is very sweet um, and lots of like singer songwriter type tunes, um, which is oh, nice. really nice. And actually, um, Trent and I probably have a bit of an allegiance. It's set in Arizona, so um, there's an Arizona connection there. <laughs> but it's it's a I think it's a more isolated. It's not Phoenix, Trent. It's um, I want to say it's maybe Yuma or something somewhere oh. there. But yeah, it's it's a solid film. I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it. So I've been adding to my watch list just from this conversation, um, but some going into this conversation. Um, I have yet to see Mulan. I know it became available not for extra purchase uh, December 4th, uh, but I was saving that one to, um, I am getting together with some family uh, for Christmas. We did the whole plan ahead, quarantining throwing that caveat in there. Um, but we're a big Disney family and like my mom wants to watch Mulan. So I've been putting a couple things off uh, to watch with her. Um, I think she's also interested in seeing Godmothered. So I've kind of been waiting on those two film wise. So I'm looking forward to those. I would love to hear people's I, thoughts about Mulan. Again, the topic of live action remakes. Uh, but another one on my list that just dropped, uh, I was a ballet dancer for a while. So I'm looking forward to watching um, On Point the docuseries I, I was actually going to put Mulan as my one of my disappointments but um, I don't have too much to say about it yeah my reaction for going back to that topic was just kind of how I felt about um, a lot of the live action remakes unfortunately mm -hmm. beautiful cinematography um, I liked that they did try to take the story in a different direction rather than like a beat for beat um yeah. you know it's the same shots as the previous film but i don't know it just it wasn't all that great for me either so i'm right there with you trent <laughs> sorry emily hope you enjoy it with you. <laughs> 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 um i my hopes aren't terribly high because uh, i i am wary of the live actions uh i i feel like it's gonna fall in the same realm as lion king where like you said the cinematography and is beautiful the art is great but the story falls somewhere um but i still want to see it i feel like i still need to see it just so that i can be part of that conversation like now i need to watch more muppets now so that i can be part of that conversation as well 
I'll just for for the record, I'll be an outlier. I actually really liked Mulan, but I think it was because I was so frustrated with Lion King and how it was a beat by beat um, mm-hmm. playback of the um, original film, whereas Mulan t- took some new directions, as uh, you pointed out there, Courtney and Trent. Um, so I appreciated that element and and certainly the dramatic um, turns. I felt like there was a huge sense of weight and consequence um, associated with um, the the main character's actions. So I I enjoyed it, but there were yeah there were certainly some problems with it, and um, and I missed the songs. But I I still re- I thought this if anything I think we could all agree on the score for it is absolutely yes. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's um, Harry Gregson Williams there. So I want to recognize him because he did an amazing job with that score. I Well, I didn't want to be the Debbie Downer. I don't have anything on my watch list. <laughs> I'm, big, I'm a big TV and movie guy, and there's so much good streaming content, what with HBO Max and Netflix and Apple TV Plus, that I'm like bouncing around to so many things that every time I go back to Disney Plus, it's mostly for the films I've seen before that I just want to watch again. Anything that's original is just so far down on my list. I can't imagine I will get to a, any of it anytime soon. And that's, of course, just speaking about the stuff that's available now. I think I've gone through everything that I had made a priority when it first came out. Fair enough. Totally respect that. And I hear you. There's so much content out there. It's overwhelming. Um, any other watch list um, options that um, the rest of the team wants to bring up? I think I'm with Derek on some aspects of that, that a lot of my, I'm looking at my watch list on my Disney plus and a lot of it isn't original content. A lot of it is um, documentaries like Frank and Ollie. Um, I finally watched the boys, uh, but also I had a lot of, I was so excited for Disney plus that a lot of like the Mickey original shorts were on there. They've started dropping things from the archives, like, uh, Disneyland in the holidays. I have the title wrong, uh, but things that have Walt in them, like that's a lot of my watch list right now is looking at some more uh, older deep cuts of Disney. Sure. Now that makes a lot of, a lot of good sense. Um, I will say too, what was nice with um, Disney Plus is that um, some of the Disney nature films have had more of a spotlight. Um, and two films that I haven't checked out yet are uh, Dolphin Reef and, and Elephant. Um, I can't say I've been that drawn to Elephant, even though I love elephants, but I heard that uh, uh, Megan, uh, the Duchess, um, otherwise known as Prince Harry's wife, um, she, she handled the narration and got a lot of flack for it. So um, I'm, I can't say I'm terribly compelled for that reason, because I think good narration can really enhance a documentary. Um, and then Dolphin Reef is uh, narrated by Natalie Portman. But I love animal films and per Trent's point about um, Disney Plus being a space for discovering na- National Geographic content, I imagine uh, it will do the same for those who really haven't checked out Disney Nature. Um, so those are titles on my watch list because I love animals and I, I should have watched them by now, but I have not. I'm glad you brought those up. I had watched the dolphins and it was very tar- I don't remember anything super specific it was just so calming it was wonderful so I forgot about Disney nature I have watched or returned to some of those uh because I did used to go when they first started they always released it on Earth Day and that was a fun thing to do because I feel like there's other than like 
in schools, you're like, yay, Earth Day, but like no one does anything for Earth Day um, unless you're in Animal Kingdom. Um, so I've enjoyed for a while going to see the Disney nature films on Earth Day because it was just something to do. Like, oh yeah, there's a new movie out. It makes the day special. Um, so yeah, that's been nice going back to those. I forgot about Disney nature. Yeah, and actually I have to add too, in addition to the documentaries we just mentioned, there were actually some documentaries about the documentaries. So basically highlighting the filmmakers who crafted, um, for instance, Dolphin Reef or Penguins, and uh, I think Elephant as well, and perhaps an, another one. So uh, for folks who, you know, those would have served as bonus features, I imagine, on a home release. So, um, so th that will serve as additional content to check out. Anything else, folks, or shall we switch over to um, our fourth topic, which is um, older, unfamiliar content from the Disney Plus catalog more broadly, not originals, um, that we've checked out? This is actually the area where I've gained the most from Disney Plus, I think. It's, it's, been, a, it's been so nice to be able to watch live action movies from the 50s, 60s, 70s that I never got a chance mm -hmm. to see. And I didn't want to spend, you know, $3.99 to rent them on iTunes because that was pretty much the only way you could watch some of these until Disney Plus came along. So th even things like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which I understand is a classic, I had never seen. And now it's so easy to just pop it on. So I did. Or uh, Fly to the Navigator, I had never seen that. Candleshoe, like all these movies that I had friends growing up who would say, oh my gosh, yeah, I used to love that movie. We watched it all the time. And for me, I, I had never even heard of it or seen it. And so now it's like this wealth of content that I missed out on as a kid that now I can finally watch as an adult. Yeah, I agree. Having those available has been great. And Trent made a really good point earlier where Disney Plus doesn't show you your watch list. So now I'm like, oh, what? I should go into my watch list that I created back in November of 2019. <laughs> and... A lot of mine are the Disney Channel original movies, especially those from like the late 90s, early 2000s. Because these are certainly films that mm. I remember seeing, but maybe only saw once, like Rip Girls, the one where they were surfers, or True Confessions mm. with Shia LaBeouf. You know, these weren't things that, to my knowledge, were readily then released on DVD. So it was like, if you didn't watch it and it didn't really gain a lot of attention, it wasn't something like High School Musical that was shown over and over. I feel like Xenon was shown a lot, but some of those others, I'm like, I only saw this once and I'm, I'm not even sure I did. So that's a lot of my watch list uh, for other older non-original content that I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I hear you, Courtney. In 1999, Smart House was the jam for me. Yes. So. <laughs> the kid who's in Smart House is in like four other DCOMs, like 13th Year and Luck at the, the Irish. Irish. That kid got his DCOM money and, <laughs> you know, good for him. Ryan Merriman, that's his name. Yes. I, yeah, DCOMs were big for me too. And Courtney, the whole, all the live action, once Derek started naming movies, it's like, oh, that was our summer cinema series. There it is. The mouse, because we did have access to them. Like you brought, um, Derek, I'm just um, It was my first time seeing 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, I, my grandmother loved Pollyanna, but I hadn't watched it in probably 15 years because I didn't own it. Um, she had it on a VHS and that VHS is gone. Um, so now 
going back to seeing some of those films has been great. And also like Treasure Island was one we did on Book of the Mouse. I hadn't watched Walt Disney's Treasure Island and a lot of us have read a lot of Disney history. That's a big live action film for them. It's their first live action film. And I had never seen it. I was able to make it a Treasure Island weekend right before we recorded. I was like, all right, watching the original Treasure Island. Oh, cool. Muppets Treasure Island. Gotta watch that. Uh, Yeah, I guess we have to have Treasure Planet to be able to speak about it. So I did all three, three nights in a row. So just having that deeper catalog. Something oddly specific for myself uh, is Fantasia and Fantasia 2000. And I'm going to get on my digital soapbox here and they have not been released for digital consumption to purchase. Uh, And my partner and I, maybe like three or four years ago, we have an Apple TV. So we really bulked up our library. And to my knowledge, we own on digital every Disney animated film, like, under the official banner except for two of the package films and the Fantasias and it was the Fantasias that bothered me the most because I actually really enjoy those films they're beautiful they're great background music just the ambient noise so as much as I would still like to personally have them in my collection I was very excited to see them available on Disney plus and I I frequently put them on uh, just to have on in the background I love that that's great and even with the live action stuff, I'm actually surprised that there's still so many not on Disney Plus. Like I was mm-hmm. trying to watch, speaking of Haley Mills and Pollyanna, I was trying to watch something about the castaways. Can you help me out? In Search of the Castaways. In Search of the Castaways. And it's not on Disney Plus. And I'm like, there's no way Disney is still making money off of that film. So to me, there's no good reason why it shouldn't be on Disney Plus. Speaking of Haley Mills, same for Summer Magic, which has Burl Ives and just a great collection of songs in it. I believe they're Sherman Brothers songs. I'm like, just put it on there. How hard is it to upload that? Yeah. Yeah. I've searched for that one as well. That's right. Yeah. I've been frustrated too. And I think my, my sense of the situation is that they're probably going to release some of these library titles over time. So it seems like there's older new content that they're continuing to release because it's not like they handled in one, you know, full swoop on November 12th, 2019. So um, I think of some of those 80s films that are like, obviously that some of them have been released on Disney Plus, but there are some um, like undiscovered ones, like I think it was Midnight Madness, where that was like Michael J. Fox's first movie. Like there's some really obscure films that they still haven't put on the platform. So I'm thinking it's going to be a gradually over time. And, you know, there'll be, there's a little fan base for these rarities, I'm sure. That's true. When they make the announcements, those are always the ones that's like, you know, on January 12th, these 10 projects are releasing and it's always the, at the very bottom of that list where it's like, oh, hey, I remember that movie. Yeah, so for sure. On Disney Plus, they had that feature where you could request like or send in titles that you would mm. like them to consider. Did any of you do that? And what titles did you send in? Mm. Oh, yes. I requested a bunch of the, well, I just put as a general series, the Disneyland and Wonderful World of Colors specials. I've really enjoyed, uh, I don't know the official name of them, Brett, you might, the the treasure tins that they did like. Yeah, Walt Disney Treasures. Yeah, Yeah, early 2000s. We have some, uh, we don't have all of them, uh, but we have a lot of like the Your Host Walt Disney, uh, Secrets and Stories of Disneyland and the bulk of that content. 
is these specials that aired as part of the Wonderful World of Color or Disneyland. And I think that's an immense catalog to be able to draw from. Uh, There are some things that I think fit under that umbrella, like Man in Space, Mars and Beyond, uh, the pre-opening report from Disneyland and Disneyland around the seasons. Um, So I have streamed those, but I would love to see so many more episodes available to us. Yeah, sort of on that same line, they released that uh, special that everybody was tweeting and Instagramming about, The Mouseketeer. Oh my god, No, sorry, I just got really excited. It's so bad, but so good. Yes, you were one of the first I saw a post about it. It was from 1977, and I would love them to put out more stuff like that, like specials that you're not going to think, oh, I should Google 1985, The Christmas Parade, but it's out there somewhere, and if it were readily readily inv- available on Disney+, Plus, it's like this amazing time capsule that I always find so much enjoyment watching, so I would love for them to put out more stuff like that. The best part of that time capsule is that it included the commercials from 1977. Like, <laughs> oh, you can wow. microwave a whole pork in the with this special <laughs> microwave thing. There's like a 70s commercial for Shake and Bake for like puppy chow wow there's meow mix the theme song has not changed in 50 years it's gold Uh, it's so funny you just said shake and bake i made that for dinner (laughs) still going strong (laughs) we were a shake and bake family (laughs) that's amazing that's hilarious yeah and there's there's so much you know we're talking about library content one of the beauties of disney plus for me has been some of the earliest shorts that were featuring Mickey Mouse, the Silly Symphonies, among others, and and actually a bunch of them are cataloged under particular collections, so they're easy for folks to access, but there's still a ton of content that hasn't debuted, but that's been just a fun um, discovery for me. Like I was watching an interesting one with Donald Duck and like a I don't know if it was like a leprechaun version of Donald. It was it was very odd, but you know, it's it's just it's so entertaining to to continually find this stuff. And per what you were saying uh, earlier there, Courtney, about like the Walt Disney treasures, like this is all stuff that folks of a certain generation in a certain space could enjoy. Or if you watch the Disney channel in the eighties or nineties, you might find some of this rare content, but otherwise it's really hard to find. So um, I think that's an encouraging element of the platform. And I will also say too, um, some content that I've discovered that I've really enjoyed per um, per what you're saying earlier, Trent, about Nat Geo. Um, I found a lot of that um, material to be really compelling, particularly those that involve um, like the development of cities. Um, so there's um, a really cool series called Europe from Above, and it involves uh, aerial footage of six different countries in Europe um, each episode focusing on a different place and centered on really cool transportation and architecture and um, industry. So I watched the whole episode on the Netherlands and I love, anybody who knows me loves I, knows that I love travel and geography. And for me, this has been a way of tapping into that during the pandemic when I can travel. So I also want to recognize some stuff that's not necessarily officially Disney, but now is part of the Disney family. And it's really, really awesome. Nice. You should check out Japan Between Earth and Sky. Um, That one's really good. Sweet. It is interesting seeing these new acquisitions come in. Like Anastasia is now on Disney Plus. (laughs) 
that's kind of interesting to see that it like that animation like their tile next to uh was it like charlie brown is on there now like uh, some of the things that you don't associate with disney and i'm like i enjoy these films i'm happy they're there but it's still kind of an adjustment right uh, I but i have watched anastasia Bluth... like three times already <laughs> <laughs> i want to know how john Bluth feels about it hmm. yeah, it's really funny to bring up their anastasia it makes me think of like this isn't a film that disney liked because if you all remember in 1997 when that film debuted dis during like thanksgiving disney's like no so we're gonna re-release re the little mermaid right around then so we can kind of take away some of that money so you know things change two decades later yeah well i was also that i love anastasia just like emily don't get me wrong i think it's a fantastic film and i definitely was of the appropriate age for when it came out i like ran around the playground pretending to be anastasia with my friends but i was also the know-it-all kid who was like she's not a disney princess no she's that's not a disney movie and now i'm like <laughs> I, have, I have to give up the fight she's on disney plus like <laughs> yes anastasia's a disney princess yeah she's a disney princess with an asterisk so <laughs> mm -hmm. disney owned and operated princess <laughs> she has a green id yeah Kind of like Princess Leia, right? She would be under that umbrella too. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Mm -hmm. um, anything else folks want to mention as far as things they've discovered? We've toe-dipped into the Muppet Babies series on uh, from Disney Junior. We came to that by way of uh, the recent holiday collections. Uh, those have been a great, just, you know, a centrical place for Halloween content or for Christmas content really well organized uh, it has like animated features live action Disney Channel shows Disney Junior and in our household we're Muppet fans so I was like oh we'll check out their Halloween episode oh we'll check out their Christmas episode and then you know it just keeps playing episodes more like four episodes deep in a Muppet baby so it's, it's a huge show that's so good to know. I, I keep meaning to check that out, and then I forget. Yeah, I, we were both fans of the original, and I would love to see that have a presence as well, but I really don't know what the licensing situation on that would be, uh, because I can't remember what channel it was on as a kid. Uh, but it, it holds kind of the integrity of the original. The animation style is very different and unique, but in a good way um and it, it has the muppet humor even though it's for kids so there's some self-aware moments for sure well, emily, you asked which i was just gonna say emily you asked which series we suggested on the website or on the app i wrote in muppets tonight from tgif back in the oh, 90s yes oh my gosh michelle I pfeiffer I, was I on may, that yes uh garth brooks like i may hate it now but i remember that was appointment viewing for me. Like every Friday night, that was one of my absolute favorite series TGIF ever made. And I thought it was so funny and witty and it's nowhere to be found now. They need to, like they have Boy Meets World on there and that was TGIF too. So, you know, just know. Bring, bring all them oh, together. I love Boy Meets World. Yeah. I was so happy to have that back. Another one I forgot. These are some that like I watched right away once I had access to them. And now like I kind of forgot that I went back and watched them. Uh, Boy Meets World. I've always loved that one because it's based in Philadelphia and that's where I'm from. And there's not a ton based. In I love seeing Corey run around in a Phillies t-shirt because that's what I did. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I loved having 
having Boy Meets World back. Um, I was going to ask, did anyone go back to like Chip and Dale, Rescue Rangers, or Darkwing Duck, I think is on there now. Yeah. Some of the yeah. other 90s it's, cartoons. And some of them were remastered, like where they, I think, are in HD. They look fantastic. I, I don't remember if it was Chip and Dale or DuckTales, but one of them looks fantastic. I was surprised when Gargoyles showed up. Not that that was when I watched, but I was like, oh yeah, that was a thing. I loved gargoyles growing up. Gummy bears, gummy bears. <laughs> yeah, it's been great to see a lot of the Disney afternoon block on there. For sure. So it's really helped with my podcast listening because those are topics that come up a lot. And there's only so many that I've seen because we were pretty young or I was pretty young in the Disney afternoon that I don't remember a lot of it where there was only like one or two shows that I really watched. So I'm happy to have those. I get this deep catalog now that when you listen to a podcast and you hear something or someone references something Disney, you can actually have access to it now. Um, all right, folks. Um, so Disney Investor Day happened um, just a short while ago, and the big focus of it was on Disney Plus and what is to come some of the programs on there, some of the films and, and shows have been announced, but there was a ton of new stuff that we had not heard about. Um, some content, of course, um, like you, you know, you heard um, Ryan, the last dragon is going to be both on Disney plus and released theatrically. Um, other projects like black widow are still aimed for theatrical release, but there's then going to be a ton of content exclusive to Disney plus a lot of original content. What is, what are you all most anticipating over the next few years based on what was either announced then or what has been previously announced as Disney Plus original material? I honestly feel like it was the it was the launch day all over again. Like I, when they first announced Disney Plus, they were saying Star Wars series and Marvel series. And I feel like we got the Mandalorian, but really nothing else that they promised. And this is the stuff I feel like I personally have been waiting for. So I swear 60, 70% of the stuff they listed, I am so here for and so excited about. So like for instance, WandaVision. Yes. I've been waiting anxiously for WandaVision for a year and it's finally coming. So excited about that. Yes. And super excited about Obi-Wan because ever since they announced that Hayden Christensen is coming back as Darth Vader, I am so, so intrigued by what that's gonna be and I'm very excited. I was so overwhelmed by the announcement that I just gave up on trying to keep up <laughs> with Twitter. And I was like, you know what? Someone's going to write a recap article. <laughs> and I just, I can't, I can't keep up. Uh, but some standouts to me were, speaking of the Disney afternoon, Chippendale Rescue Rangers with John Mulaney and Andy Samberg seems like a really fun casting. And I can't wait to see where they go with that. Um, you know, I feel like, like, Derek, as you were saying, things had been announced in the past, like Marvel series that we're still waiting on, or all of the Star Wars universe, uh, but some stuff came out of that field for me, like Tiana is getting her own show, and I think that's fantastic. I can't wait to see what animation style they do it in, but just excited to hear more of her story, because I think she's an underrated Disney princess, um, and certainly sequels, like Disenchanted, we've kind of like heard that rumored for years uh, to, hear, to hear that that's actually happening was very exciting. Yeah, and Sister Act 3. And Hocus Pocus 2. Oh, yeah, I'm right. not sure how I feel about that. 
but I'll give it a chance. I know. The sequels worry me, but obviously I'm going to watch them the yes. day they release. <laughs> that that represents appointment viewing, right, Derek? Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> yes. Live tweeting? Oh, maybe not. Well, and, and you know, we're just talking about um, the, the notion of Walt Disney Animation Studios with Tiana. Like, that's an example of if you look at the most trendy trending shows on Disney or uh, trending films or shows on Disney plus, you'll consistently see projects like Zootopia and Moana and the princess and the frog. And Disney probably was taking note. They're like, we need to extend these brands further. So we are going to get Tiana in fall 2023. Um, There's also going to be a Baymax series, even though there's big hero, the sixth series. Now we're going to get one, I guess, with more of a focus on Baymax. So it's nice to see that these films that have cultivated such fan bases over the past decade are going to have um, new fans and um, new stories to be told. Agreed. I was always a big fan of the Mighty Ducks when I was a kid. And I cannot get my nephew for the life of me to watch it, even though I know he would love it. But now that the new series is starting, I'm like, ooh, maybe this will be his gateway into those old Mighty Ducks films. I love that. Yeah, and even revisiting kind of the same era. So I think Mighty Ducks was maybe 92 with the first one, and then there were the sequels. But Turner and Hooch, which was a a fun Mm -hmm. touchstone film with Tom Hanks, and that's now going to get a series with uh, Josh Peck in the the title role. Um, So it's intriguing how they're drawing upon projects from their catalog that maybe weren't the most Disney per se, but um, still have... um, I guess some legions of fans. Um, so that's kind of cool. I'm looking back through the list. Uh, Cause like Courtney said, people did write recap articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking back through the list and I'm glad that they had also the release dates uh, because that day was really overwhelming. I was so excited about everything, but then I also was like, Oh no, how much time am I now going to be sitting in front of the television? <laughs> um, <laughs> making time between working from home and whatever that I'm going to want to watch all these things. So I am kind of glad to see that while they announced a lot of this, it is rather spaced out. And I kind of like the one episode dropping at a time that they brought in, which I know a lot of people didn't like because we're used to binge watching, but I really prefer getting one episode at a time. Uh, So I hope they continue with that trend with some of this new stuff. Yeah. I, 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 I sense that that's going to be the case with, all of the Marvel and Star Wars scripted series um, per, you know, Mandalorian. Uh, I know WandaVision's going to adopt that format. So I, I think that that really works to the notion, like we were talking about earlier, of, of you, you must watch it on this particular day to be in the know and to have that, um, you know, live conversation. Yeah. Um, I'm also really, uh, mind you, and um, some of you know that for me, Pixar um, and Disney proper, Um, are probably the brands that I'm most connected to. But I have to say the Marvel Studios content was really compelling. Like um, at D23 Expo last year, they showed a a trailer for What If, the the Marvel animated series that's going to show alternative versions of some of the uh, superhero stories. And they showed showed it again, or for most people, the first time um, for Investor Day. 
I think that looks incredible. And the animation is really slick and they got most of the original um, MCU stars to reprise their characters. So I think that's gonna be a really interesting um, alternative um, for folks who, who wanna uh, revisit these stories, but in a new way. Yeah, that, ever since that was first announced, I was excited because What If was a comic book that I read when I was growing up and it was always, oh man, that it's crazy to think of all these possibilities of, yeah, what if this or what if that? And it's going to be the last time we get Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther. Um, so that performance will be something to watch out for. But I, I was looking forward to it. Even when I just heard the words, what if? I was like, ah! Yeah, and some of those um, other Marvel characters that I, I think for folks um, like you, Trent, who are very familiar with the comments, uh, comics will recognize like Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel. Yes. They're getting their own series. You know, yes. Some of those were previously announced, but then um, there were some other projects that uh, came to fruition as well through the Investor Day. So, and, and similarly with Star Wars, right? We're going to get 10 new Star Wars series over the next two to three years, which is quite incredible in terms of the um, robust slate that will be a component of the Disney Plus original slate. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and it's both of those, the Star Wars and the Marvel, everything that they announced just makes, it just adds to those universes and makes them, fleshes them out more. Um, and it just gets me excited for people to come to these um, properties and franchises. And um, I love that the Mandalorian inspired people to, to, to get into Star Wars more. So I like all of these um, all of the things that were announced, especially that um, Star Wars Visions, the anime project, I'm very interested and intrigued to see how the animation looks on there. I really could go through that list of things they announced and talk about 80% of them and just say how excited I am, or at least interested, yes. uh, but I won't. Uh, but I do <laughs> want to point out two, two of the movies that I thought were kind of interesting. They're doing a remake of Cheaper by the Dozen with... Gabrielle Union and a remake of Three Men and a Baby with Zac Efron and I think that's I think that's a slot that Disney Plus could fill pretty well because I love both of those movies but to me they're not untouchable you know I, I do think you could make a modern remake of those and have it be fun and have it be kind of self-aware and sort of more modern like Three Men and a Baby obviously cell phones are going to play a bigger factor if you made that movie today uh, so I have kind of high hopes for those. I think they could be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, Derek, it makes me think, too, per Disney's acquisition of Fox, they have all these different um, brands that they can now tap, like Cheaper by the Dozen, which was you know originally a Fox release. So they also made some announcements, I think, related to Ice Age and um, some of the other um, Night, at, Night at the Museum as well, which I think was a clever concept. I think the new version is going to be animated, perhaps. So it's interesting to think that this is a mechanism for them to re-envision the content that, that people are familiar with. I'm also looking forward to Lightyear. Oh my God, uh, yes. Evans. So, and I was confused at first and his tweet also, um, Chris Evans tweeted like after he was like excited about this and the next one said, oh, it's about Buzz Lightyear, the character that the toy was made out of. And here goes Pixar again, going with the Inception. We're not shrinking down to the size of a toy anymore, but we're getting Light, Buzz Lightyear's actual backstory. 
Um, so I think that'll be that'll be really interesting. Yeah. Well, and that was what was so nice about the announcements. It wasn't just content for um, Disney Plus and, and what Pixar is doing for Disney Plus, and it's such a um, a vast amount of content over the next few years. But they're you know Lightyear and also um, the Turning Red with the girl who who channels that one looks really really to cute. a panda. So those are those are going to get theatrical uh, releases. But yeah, like Lightyear. Wow, how inspired that was for me. That was the the mic drop moment. I was like, holy cow, this is what we've been waiting for. And Pixar also has Luca. I'm looking at this list and all of Pixar's new stuff is all new original stories. Nothing is being remade. Nothing in the Pixar realm is a sequel. It's, I mean, I guess you could argue Lightyear kind of is since we already know the character Buzz Lightyear, but it's not a sequel to Toy Stories or a prequel or a spinoff. So I'm really excited that Pixar continues to share creative new stories. Yeah, I, I think I'm waiting for now, like a backstory of Woody's Roundup, and then you can get Robert <laughs> Downey Jr. to voice Woody. So then it's like, you know, Iron Man versus Cap. I don't know. It could be inspired. You can cross different universes, different franchises. Yeah, the multiverse. Yes. <laughs> so a lot of cool stuff is on the horizon. Any any last minute additions folks want to recognize? Because I know there were dozens and dozens of different uh, films and shows listed. Okay, this isn't part of that lineup, but I have been waiting since they, I feel like Derek might have brought it up earlier, like we got this big announcement of like, this is coming, this is coming before Disney Plus launched, but no dates. And we still don't have a date for the Ink and Paint docuseries. And I just, I really want to immerse myself in that once that happens. Yes, I was going to bring that up that looking through the recaps for the Investor Day, Courtney, Ink and Paint was on like an advertisement you showed me like, make sure to tune in, like, look what's coming. And then I don't remember seeing anything about Ink and Paint on Investor Day. I actually was going to break up that series too. I'm really excited about it. And I also remember that you guys talked about the book. It's what, I don't, can you say it's based on the book? I don't know, but sort of. I would of, say it, inspired by, like that Inspired research. by, and I, isn't the artist involved in the series, or excuse me, the author? Brett, yeah. you interviewed her. Did she, I can't remember if she had mentioned that since it's been a while since I yeah. listened to that one. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, Mindy Johnson, she, this was back in June when we recorded and, and released, um, maybe in July, but at the time she said on the recording that there wasn't necessarily an update, so, you know, perhaps things have changed in the past six months, but, uh, yeah, I think all of us kind of like, we love the Imagineering story, we want to know more about, um, you know, Disney's female animators, and, and, you know, as illustrated in that lovely book, there's so many stories to be told. And I think all of us who really have an appreciation for that part of Disney want to see that. So we can all cross our fingers that that um, is still in development and gonna be debuting. And I'll also mention too, a few few projects that were in development um, that weren't mentioned. There was Behind the Attraction, which I know Dwayne The Rock Johnson was involved in some capacity, which each episode is supposedly going to focus on the origins and development of um, popular Disney uh, theme park attractions. So that wasn't mentioned. I know there's a People in Places series that was in development that was going to harken back to um, the the old series um, from the 60s. So um, there's there's a number of things that just simply weren't mentioned. There's that the Monsters at Work series that 
is going to uh, was to be spun off from Monsters Inc., which was mentioned um, a good deal at D23 Expo, but it's been crickets um, for that one too. And that was not part of Pixar's announcements, which was kind of surprising. So um, yeah, it, there's some question marks for sure. Did was there ever an update about the Jungle Cruise movie? Yes, I, that yes. I, I was say I think it's still theatrical at this point, but it was supposed to be this summer, and I I think next summer, right, Brett? Yeah, yeah. I think it's still slated for July, but that seems to me one that very well could be moved to Disney Plus if um, if the company needs um, some some material for the streaming service. So yeah, and then we also heard some announcements related to um, a new version of Pinocchio with Tom Hanks as Geppetto, the Peter Pan and Wendy film, um, some others that are inspired by Disney animated classics. So you know, continuing to tap into that. So it's going to be fascinating. Live action remakes just keep coming. <laughs> I'm waiting for Atlantis: The Lost Empire with Tom Holland. Like, when will that come? Yes. Please. <laughs> I am 100% behind that one. I would love to see that or see Treasure Planet become a live action because I feel like the the storytelling that they have, but also it's futuristic, but also steampunk that the technology we have now to create those worlds would be fantastic in live action. Um, but yeah, I was excited about Pinocchio because Tom Hanks is great in everything he's in. Um, Jude Law in Peter Pan as Captain Hook, I think will be interesting, but I still get wary when they want to go back to animated classics and make them live action. They also announced the cast for The Little Mermaid, the full cast I saw was released on social media. Yeah, and that's that's slated for a theatrical release, so... That's going to be pretty epic, I imagine, because people love that film. Now, I'd be curious. It sounded like I think Derek is also an HBO Max subscriber. Warner Media announced that for 2021, um, everything that's going to theaters from that production company will also be available for free for one month for HBO Max subscribers. And I don't know if we're going to get into like streaming wars here, but I wonder if as things progress uh, through our current pandemic situation. I know Ryan the Last Dragon slated for a same-time release, but for an added price, but things like Soul or Onward have been added without additional price. It'll be interesting to see some of these theatrical things that we have mentioned, if, if they'll step up to the competition. Yeah, this environment has definitely created, not that streaming services weren't already growing, but with the closure of movie theaters, streaming services really have changed in less than a year of what they cover and what they produce. And movie companies have really had to think about what to do with all these films. Cause I am curious, like thinking about Jungle Cruise slated now again for next year, at what point though, have they been holding it too long that people aren't going to go see it? So is the streaming service better to just drop it now, even if it is an additional charge in some way, because I know they're, things are looking hopefully better 2021, things reopening, but at what point are some of these films going to lose their spot if we hold them too long or their relevance, I should say. Right. 
Right, right. I think it's a waiting game. I think no one really knows what to do yet. So they're waiting for someone to make the first move. And now that HBO Max and Warner have, I think the other streaming and uh, film studios are going to have their eyes tuned very closely to see how this all pans out for HBO. For sure. Yeah, I think Wonder Woman 84, 1984 is obviously a, a game changer here. And, you know, I think Disney has learned a lot. Well, Milan was fraught with a lot of issues um, for various reasons, but um, that was also an experiment for the point of like, how long can you wait in getting it out there? Because there is going to be lessened interest and, you know, talk about one with already such a huge fan base and interest base, whereas Jungle Cruise, yeah, you might have folks who like um, Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson and who love the attraction, but there's not that same compelling factor as there is with um, what would be arguably a more signature brand or, or title. And I'm curious how well the extra tick, like the extra payment option worked. Like how many, how much did it work when they made Mulan for three months, an extra price? Uh, we know they're doing that again with some other films, but did it work? Was it worth it? Because once I heard, oh, it'll be on in December 4th, I was like, I can wait three months. That's fine. Yeah, and it's so unfortunate that they don't have like a box office number that we could look at because I don't think they're ever going to release the numbers of how it did. No. But Trent, you, you got Mulan when it was released in September, right? Yes, did you feel it was, do you feel $30 was an appropriate charge there or? I, well, I don't. I think um, either one or the other, it should have been, okay, um, you get it on Disney Plus or you pay for it, not both. So I didn't, I just felt like it was, to that version of it, that skew, I guess it would, it just did not leave a good taste in my mouth. Um, maybe if, if I had liked the movie more, um, I would have had a different opinion, but I, I think 30 was, was a little bit high. I like what you said that, cause that would be interesting to see if through the Disney plus platform that you had stuff that was available through your subscription, but then certain titles are only for purchase. And once you buy them, they stay on your account in some way. Yeah. Because then maybe, yeah. Cause once I heard it was going to be out three, three months later, I didn't feel as compelled to pay for it. And right. I, I get the argument that they were like, well, it's cheaper than taking your family to a movie if you're like a family of four, but mm -hmm. when you live by yourself and it's just you, it's like, I'm not paying $30. That's more than you'd pay for the DVD. So maybe I liked your idea there that if certain titles and then maybe you bring it down to like what the DVD price would be, maybe yeah. that would work better mm -hmm. uh, business-wise. I don't know. I'm not a business person <laughs> or marketing, but that, yeah, it was a weird concept to me that I'm like, you can buy it now for early release, but then you're just going to get it anyway. Yeah. And for me, the only reason I did go ahead and uh, purchase it as soon as it was available was I'm splitting it with um, my my Disney Plus account is being split with other people, so they chipped in on that. So it just it stays on the account, but um, I didn't fork over the full thirty dollars myself. So I I just don't like sense. that model, I guess. 
So basically a, a tip to listeners, make sure to have a share a Disney plus account with several other people and you can <laughs> split the cost for Ryan, the last dragon debuting March. Um, now it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of experimentation going on with um, Disney plus and these other services as we're talking about. So it's going to be fascinating to see how it all unfolds. And I recognize we all have talked a lot about um, Disney plus the, the good, the disappointing and ultimately the very exciting on what's on our docket and what's ahead over the next few years. Uh, what are folks' final thoughts um, in terms of Disney Plus and, and your experiences and connections to um, using the streaming service? I will say I haven't made use of it as much as I expected to when they first announced it. Which, by the way, I'm just realizing I didn't even talk about Hamilton. I've watched that no fewer than like eight times this year. So, oh my that gosh, was you're right. How did we not talk about Hamilton? I feel like, <laughs> no, no, it's like just... does it count as like? Yeah. Because it wasn't it was, like it was designed never for going... it. Yeah. Yes, that's what I was going to say. It was never going to be on Disney Plus until 2020 happened. Um, so for me, I have I have not really made as much use of it as I thought I would. However, all of these announcements for 2021, to me, like they just give me hope again and they give me more confidence that, I don't know, I'm not going to cancel it. That's, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, even though I haven't used it that much, it's still worth it to me, especially because of what's coming. I purchased, I wasn't at D23 last year, uh, but once they made that three-year deal available to non-attendees where I think it was like $160 for three years. I'm pretty excited about the lineup extending us through 2022 or 2023. I guess in 2022, I will definitely be renewing at that point. Um, so glad that I made that, that upfront investment. And it's definitely been a, a source of fun and joy as we've been home <laughs> for the past several months. Yeah, I did the three-year deal also. And it's one of the streaming services that I do pull up often, but again, it was because of Mandalorian. So because there was something, there was an event for me to go to, I always went to it. And then there's been enough other things with National Geographic, with Spider-Man, um, even, um, I didn't talk about this, Brett, but the wonderful world of, world of Disney, Magical Holiday Celebration was something that was, a was um, uh, it was on Hulu also, which is, that's another kind of weird thing is when I see stuff on Hulu and on Disney plus, but um, every year, my wife and I, one of our big traditions is to watch the Disney holiday celebration. And so this year we were like, Oh no, there's not going to be one because of COVID. But I was actually really impressed what they did. Um, they had two actually. One was with um, Ryan Seacrest and he was, it was different people's performances at home. And that was kind of interesting. And then the magical celebration was clips of past performances from um, the Disney parks. And there was um, some new stuff from 2020 with um, the Huffs. Um, they were at, at California. And then they had um, one of the guys from Gronish was at the Florida park. So they, they cut in um, after, between each segment. So that was a big plus for me this year, having, I, I was able to continue my holiday tradition with Disney Plus. So I am happy overall. And 
with all the stuff that they announced, I'm very much looking forward to the future. I too did the three-year plan. <laughs> um, uh, but similarly, uh, I think for me, the original content has been an added perk because my main incentive to get Disney Plus was I wanted access to having all of the animated films in one place, yes. Pixar, um, because those are DVDs that I share within my family. So some are in New Jersey, some are in Maryland, some are all over the place. Um, so I, that's what I really wanted it for was to be able to watch favorites of mine whenever I wanted, wherever I was. So I've been very happy with Disney Plus because that was my main incentive. And for me, the originals and now getting more into Star Wars and discovering yes. new things has been the added plus. No pun intended there, right? There, yeah. Added plus. <laughs> Disney Plus, the plus. <laughs> plus, plus, plus. Um, and I'm in the three-year club too because I was very uh, <laughs> intrigued by that. Wow, I, because my first concern when the st streaming service was uh, about to launch was like, they're going to raise the, the monthly rate. It's a matter of time. And sure enough, yeah. starting in 2021, mm -hmm. it's going to be a dollar more per month, which ultimately I think is totally reasonable considering that their um, supply of original content is going to be expanded. But um, I'm overall, I couldn't be happier with it, particularly as someone who loves docu-series and has not, I've not been disappointed by any of that content in particular. Um, for me, that's where uh, the streaming service really shines and then certainly complemented by the back catalog. Um, so I'm excited uh, and I think uh, I think all of us have been able to offer some really rich contributions and we've discovered new things that we're putting on our uh, watch list. Um, it seems like there's definitely going to be some Earth to Ned viewing going on very shortly among other uh, programs as well. But um, so, yeah, lots lots to experience on Disney+. Plus. And uh, as we wrap up, I want to make sure that um, everybody knows where to find each of you on social media and your respective um, podcasts. Um, so could we maybe do this in alphabetical order, starting with Courtney? Sure. Uh, so Emily and I host Book of the Mouse Club podcast. You can find us anywhere you find this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, we recently just covered both volumes of Mark Davis in his own words. A great compliment to your episode where you interviewed Christopher Merritt uh, in episodes 48 and 49 of our show. We just discussed the lengthy text with each other and had a lot of fun doing so. So you can find Book of the Mouse Club at Book of the Mouse on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me, Courtney Guff, on Twitter at Courtney underscore Guff and on Instagram at Great Guthsby. Thanks, Courtney. Dark, how about you? Well, you also can find me on Twitter and Instagram if you would like. My name is Derek Lewis. I tweet and post mostly things about Disney, just kind of on accident, but that's where we are. Uh, but I am the co-host of the Mad Chatters podcast, who, which Emily and Courtney have both guested on, some of our favorite guests. And we just talk about all things Disney parks and some Disney films and we play games and we have wacky top 10 lists and all sorts of crazy material. So if you enjoy podcasts and it seems like you probably do, you can check us out as well wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, Derek. Always entertaining to listen to the Mad Chatters for sure. And Emily, over to you. 
Uh, so Courtney already shared where to find Book of the Mouse Club, uh, but if you want to follow me, uh, my handle at both Twitter and Instagram is at Emily underscore McD. Thank you. And Trent? I am on the same things, Twitter and Instagram. Just go by my last name, Vector. And if you would like, my wife and I like to play video games on YouTube. Um, you could find me over at Arizona Jedi on YouTube. Yes, the force is strong with your YouTube channel. <laughs> Courtney, Derek, Emily, Trent, uh, always a pleasure to talk with all of you. Thank you so much for um, discussing Disney Plus original content, what's to come, what we revisited or checked out for the first time. Um, it was a great dialogue with each and every one of you. So thanks again. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. Yeah. And many thanks go out to Courtney, Emily, Trent, and Derek for being on Notably Disney again. What are some of your favorite Disney Plus originals? Please go ahead and share your thoughts to notablydisney at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you in terms of what programming you feel is the strongest on the service and even finding out what are you most wanting to check out um, in the next couple of years. As we know with Disney Investor Day, there's a lot that will be debuting on the service. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.